Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Back to school. Backpacks. Lockers. Lockers to hide in. Get out of that locker, Eugene. <laughs> Speaking of school, what's the biggest lesson you ever learned? To subscribe to Patreon to help keep this show on the air. Ooh, I was out sick that day. How do I subscribe? Well, to be one of the cool kids. Okay, sorry. Uh, become one of our Patreon supporters and help keep us on the air. Head on over to patreon.com. That's patreon.com or p a t r e o n.com and search for Behind the Curtain Broadway's Living Legends. Set up a monthly donation. Even a dollar a month helps us. You know the routine, guys. Your contribution helps us continue doing what you're doing and bringing all these amazing stories to your ears. Good to know. Well, I'm going to subscribe and get a note to get out of PE. Rob. I have bone spurs. Oh. Hi, I'm Rob Schneider. And I'm Kevin David Thomas. And this is Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Broadway Curtain, and make sure to join our Facebook page at Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. And follow us on Instagram at Broadway Curtain Podcast Plus. You can always listen to our podcasts on Broadway World and Stitcher. You probably know today's guest from her countless years on both the large and small screen. The Miracle Worker, Advise and Consent on Film, and on television, Soap, the Golden Girls, and Benson, where she played Gretchen for all seven seasons. Before she was nabbed up by Hollywood, she was one of New York's most in-demand dramatic actresses before she turned her eyes toward musicals, appearing in New Faces of 1956, Camelot, Baker Street, and the role for which she is most probably best known, Lizzie in 110 in the Shade. To tell us what it was like to work with such legends as Maggie Smith, Tyrone Guthrie, Richard Burton, Robert Goulet, oh yes, and so many more. Here, joining us over the phone from her home in Los Angeles is Inga Swenson. So our first question is, is where did you grow up? Omaha, Nebraska. And what did your parents my father, do? My father was a Swedish consul and a, an attorney who had a bustling business with Swedish immigrants because of his... Uh, consul status, and he never charged them anything, which was uh, kind of a sore point with my mother. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> understandable, yeah. understandable. Yeah. But I had a lot of friends, uh, girlfriends, and uh, uh, all, a lot of kids in the neighborhood, and I was walking distance to an incredible grade school. It was called Saunders School. It was K through 8, and I went all the way, nine years I spent at Saunders School, and I think I had some kind of breakdown or uh, psychic uh, withdrawal when I left Saunders School. I missed it so much. I used to walk over there and just, they had a railing around the school, you know, that you could sit on. Mm -hmm. Little kids was low enough for kids to, so I'd sit down on the railing and just look at the school. I mean, it was pathetic. Well, I, uh, I mean, going to a great big high school, I went to a mid-city high school that was huge. I mean, there were thousands of kids. And uh, I didn't know any of them except maybe one or two more who went to Central High School. The others all went to Tech or North or it depends on where you lived. Mm -hmm. But I was a Central High girl. And then as soon as I got cast in an operetta, I decided I liked Central High School. Was the high school when you first encountered the arts? Were you singing and performing before then? 
No, I was, uh, I, I would say that started in church when I was a little oh. girl. And uh, we, we were, my parents went to a congregational church. Oh, yeah, that's what big, I went to, yeah. Big, beautiful congregational church that had a, enough uh, money, I guess, for a, for a uh, extensive music program. There were five choirs. Oh, my goodness. And the littlest one was called the Carol Choir. And, you know, they're the ones who got all the oohs and ahs when they marched in in their little <laughs> white surplus and red skirts and carrying a candle. So, I mean, it was, you know, <laughs> just exactly what you think. Yes. So um, that's where it started. They learned that I had a pretty voice and I could, you know, re I could make the... Uh, parishioners weep mm -hmm. and that's all it needed for me to sing the desk cannon silent night and uh, there wasn't a dry eye in the house classic and it was it was seductive oh yeah i mean i liked that you of know? course I, I would stand there after church with my my mother's arm around me and everybody coming up and saying oh geneva your little girl has such a pretty voice. I mean, it was just heaven. Yeah. You know? And then you said in high school you, you were cast in an operetta and that sort of, I think, have a feeling open. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's true. I, I went from uh, singing the descant in uh, Silent Night to uh, Reginald de Coven's Robin Hood. Oh, yes. <laughs> and I was cast as Maid Marian. Oh, I was so happy. Oh. And by this time, my father had been killed in an automobile accident. Oh, I'm so sorry. I was 15. And uh, giving me that that role just uh, saved my life. I mean, it just, I, I had something to do. I had something to think about. Yes. I had people telling me I was wonderful. I mean, it was just perfect. That's all. Because I was not a uh, a great student like my brothers who were Phi Beta Kappa and Summa Cum Laude and every other award right. you could imagine. Did you know that you wanted to go into the arts at a young age? I mean, uh, well, you... it was uh, uh, the only thing I was good at. I mean, they were su such brilliant students that I wanted to uh, do something that would make them be impressed by me. You know, yes. me. Remember yes. me, yes. and uh, and being good on stage was uh, uh, my brothers weren't good on stage at all. They were totally wooden <laughs> because both of them were uh, in debate. Of course, uh, you know, in high school, that's how it all starts mm -hmm. for lawyers and mm -hmm. and men of import. Yes, they are good at debate and. Uh, they, my brothers were both brilliant at debate, and I hadn't any idea what it was like. I mean, I, I hadn't a clue as to how to debate on something. I mean, what? What are you talking about, I'd say. I mean, I just didn't get it. And I didn't get uh, anything to do with mathematics or algebra or geometry or any of those things. I could barely make it. And I just got passed because I had a pretty voice. And everybody loved to come and see me in the operetta. And I had these brilliant teachers, all friends of my Aunt Martina, who was head of the English department at 
in Omaha Central High. She's the only one who never married. And uh, she was everybody's favorite. And Classic, of course. Oh, and she was, she, she was a Shakespeare uh, enthusiast and had great knowledge of every play. Mm. It was just wonderful. Because then when I went to Stratford, Connecticut and played all those great parts, I could ask her what to do. <laughs> yes. What is this? What does this mean? You know, she was she was so great. So, so your family was supportive of you going into the industry. Oh my God! Yes. What a blessing. I mean, uh, I, I I I I had classical music. I never heard anything else until I was a, went to grade school. I guess. Mm. I mean, they were they were all students and summa cum laude. You have to understand that. That it was Mozart and Bach and and Mendelssohn that, uh, that I knew, and uh, that wasn't very popular, you know. I mean, I I, I couldn't impress any impress any kids with that. Mm. But uh, <laughs> not until I got to college. Now, where was college for you? Northwestern. Mm. Yeah, and and tell us how you met Lowell. Yeah, that's how we met. Practically on the in the first class uh, oh. of, in the theater theater school. I was a theater major, and of course that meant, you know, taking everything else as well. Yeah. Uh, they didn't let you get by with anything, although I tried. <laughs> Finally, I was desperate enough to have a baby instead of try to take exams, and I just dropped out. <laughs> Nobody told us how not to get a baby. You know? <laughs> In those days, it was not discussed. No, no, and, it wasn't. Uh, well, my mother sort of did, but I, I didn't really get it. I mean, I think she must have tried to explain it to me when I was too young to get it, know what she was talking about. Right. That, and then by the time I was old enough, it was too late. <laughs> <laughs> how long have you and Lowell been married now? We have a son who's, who's, I think he's, oh, I guess it may be, I don't know, 1954, you do the math, I'm no good. (laughs) Now, how did you get your equity card? Oh, I I, I got cast in a play, the first thing I ever read for. No, I played, I'd done so much Shakespeare with Alvina Cross at Northwestern, and I was good at it. I, I, because I was a singer, and a good musician, I had a feeling for mm. rhymed couplets, you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Yes. So I could talk Shakespeare and make it sound like some something somebody might understand. And they liked that. That was very uh, castable in those days. This was 1954 in, or 55, I guess, in New York. And there was a company called the Shakespeare Rights. Horrible name. <laughs> but... Uh, they had a production, they were casting a production of Twelfth Night, and if anybody was ever suited to play Olivia, it's me. Right. I was perfect for it. So I got it immediately, and I always did look good on stage because I'm tall and I have high cheekbones, which makes it work. And I mean, you know, I, look, I can be really plain off stage, thank God. <laughs> I, I can, you can dress her up or down, you know, that's always the main main gift of an actress 
doesn't really matter whether you can act or not, but dress, what you look like, and uh, whether you can speak is really more important. So, uh, so I got cast as Olivia, and I had these gorgeous gowns because I was fun to costume. They loved a five foot ten skinny uh, <laughs> woman with uh, narrow shoulders, you know, and uh, so that was it. I mean, I got these great reviews. They said I was gorgeous, and they got, and I got an agent. You know, this guy, the first guy who asked me said, and I said, sure. <laughs> How lucky. <laughs> so that, so uh, then when Shakespeare writes, I guess became an equity uh, situation. That That's how I, I got my card. And how did you get involved with the actor studio? Oh, well... Lowe's and my oldest friend at Northwestern uh, was James Olson, the actor. Yeah. And um, he was a year or two ahead of us, but we all became very good friends because Lowell and Jim uh, played Iago and Othello, and I wanted to play Desdemona, and everybody said I should, but I was just... <laughs> But I was still a freshman, and they wouldn't cast me in a <laughs> UT production. That stands for University Theater. And uh, so I hung out with Lowell and, and Jim, and we were a trio. And uh, Jim was a couple of years ahead of us, and he'd gotten cast in a Broadway show almost immediately. And so he, was a mem- he got into the actor's studio. He auditioned, of course, you had to audition, but he was so good. And um, then he, I did my scene to audition with him, and uh, so, you know, I got in. And Lee Strasberg loved me because I was such a shiksa. <laughs> it was terrible. <sighs> oh, he was a sweetheart. You liked him. Tell, can you, any more memories of uh, being in the classroom with him? Oh, sure. He, uh, the best thing I remember about him is that uh, after the class, if you did a scene, you uh, were supposed to talk about it after the class. And the class was supposed to uh, give you suggestions and approbation. Anyway, so I remember Shelley Winter, I said something about how uh, I, I didn't want to discuss some of the things I used, quote unquote, those were actors' studio terms, because then it would have been out there in the world, you mm-hmm. know, in the air, and I would have said it, and it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a secret anymore. And so I said I didn't want to talk about it, and uh, Shelley Winters got all huffy about it. And <laughs> she got love to get healthy about anything. She would the mouth started and didn't stop. And <laughs> so she said that I that was a big mistake, et cetera, et cetera. And then pretty soon well, the actor studio teaches you that if you learn it's it's learned uh, behavior, then it'll happen without you having to think silly things. Right. Very true. It'll just it'll just be part of you, and we used to go to the uh, to the Russian tea room. Do you remember hearing of oh, the Russian? Oh yeah. Okay. 
Well, everybody used to go there after class, and we'd sit at a big round table, and uh, they'd let us sit there all day. Actually, uh, well, there were members of the uh, Actors Studio who were involved with the ownership of the Russian Tea Room and the running of it anyway. Oh. So we were welcome, <laughs> even though it was so elegant. I mean, bunch of actors, you know, sitting there talking about class, but right, that was right. okay. I think the rest of the uh, restaurant loved that. And uh, as he was leaving that morning when we were after, well, it was noon by this time after the class and after the Russian tea room, Lee stopped by our table and put his hand on my head and looked right into my eyes and said, you can do anything you want. Oh, wow. How about that? Yeah, that's, wow. That's special. Yeah, I know it is. And, and I understand that it was be, had to do with the way I look. You know, but uh, that's all right. I always knew about that. And I'm... sometimes it, it was way against me. I got I lost a lot of jobs because I'm so tall. Re uh, you and, uh, what's his name? Uh, Oklahoma. Alfred uh, Drake. Yeah, he wouldn't have anything to do with me. He came about up to my shoulder. Oh. <laughs> I mean, he wouldn't even oh. let me audition. You oh. know, if he was in the company. Simply because you were taller than him. Are you kidding? Oh. I mean, <laughs> I made him look like a paper doll. <laughs> <laughs> So that was that. But I I had great success with Howard Keel and Summer Stock because I could put my head on his chest when we sang. <laughs> oh. Did you enjoy doing Summer Stock? Very, very much. And you did the Kenley Players, correct? Yeah, I did. I did with Howard. We did Showboat and we did Carousel. Oh, what a ball we had. And I mean, there's nothing like Carousel. There's, I mean, it's. I think it's the best show that's ever been written. Yeah. I mean, mu musical or play. Yes. It's, I mean, you can't imagine what it's like unless you've been in that production. Mm. It's like uh, reciting the Bible or mm -hmm. something mm -hmm. for yeah. some people. It's a holy experience. And mm -hmm. it is for the audience, too. You can tell. Yes. When you were auditioning, what was your go-to audition song? Oh, uh, this is my beloved. Oh. Uh, anything from Carousel, of course. He gets all the good music. <laughs> yes. <laughs> How did uh, New Faces of 1956 come into your life? Leonard Silman came to see up. Uh, did you ever hear the Wamu show at Northwestern? Oh, yes. Okay, well, Leonard Silman was playing New Faces of 52, was on the road in Chicago. That's the one with Eartha Kitt and everybody, you know? Yes. And uh, it was a huge success. And, uh, w and it was very in to know all the songs, you know? Uh -huh. And, <laughs> and uh, so... When Leonard and a lot, a number of the cast came to see the Wamu show, there was, there was a great hoo-ha, of course. And he came backstage and told me, to my face, that the first thing I should do when I came to New York was come to see him. Oh. 
his office. I mean, if you you can imagine what that means. Oh yeah. When you come to New York, you don't know a soul to be able to call on his office, which was uh, it was in his house. He lived at number five. Uh, 69th Street or something. I mean, it was just perfect, perfect house. Yeah. And uh, with and his office was on the main floor. We used to go there when we were in New Faces. I mean, during the run of our New Faces. And we'd go over there and mess around in the kitchen. Oh. <laughs> so it was terrible. Uh, but it was fun. John Reardon and Maggie and... And, uh, oh, several of so us. Jane Cannell. This would be Maggie Smith... Yeah. Who went on and did pretty well for herself. Oh, God. <laughs> I tell you, it, she just knocks my socks off. I, I just uh, adore her. I don't care what she does. She, she's never done any wrong as far as I can say. Uh, we agree <laughs> with you, definitely. And you knew her. You you, you started with her. Yes. Yes, we, uh, we, we were friends. We... Uh, well, we were all friends, and Maggie was uh, not happy because she was seriously homesick and didn't know anybody really when she came. And and Leonard, who was, uh, you know, he was like the famous gay man in show business, and right. he knew everybody who was gay, and that's the people he thrust on Maggie, I think. Uh-huh. I mean, so so she couldn't wait till we closed. Huh. <laughs> and I was hoping we would go on the road and she and I could share a, a room, but uh, it never happened. Oh. She was just so much fun to be with. Yeah. And we, 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 we always laughed so much. And Lowell says I should tell you that uh, when we went to London... For our 50th anniversary, we went to see Maggie in a play she was in with Judy Dench, the two of them, a two-character play. I can't remember the name of it. It wasn't very good, but it was just, you were so gripped by watching the two of them. Yeah, of course. It didn't matter. It didn't matter what they did, you know. <laughs> anyway, uh, I mean, they could stand up there and sort of read the phone book or something. Exactly. But, uh, but uh, Maggie and I, we went back afterwards and we sat in her dressing room I think we drank two bottles of champagne which she pulled out of her little fridge you know? <laughs> and and uh, we sang all the songs that we remembered that had been cut from the show in Boston oh now how about that that's and impressive the two, we, we're both the kind of um, performer who never forgets a lyric <laughs> you know I mean it's a curse, really, because you can't listen to music without without the uh, sounding the lyrics in your head. It drives you nuts in a store with uh, what do you call it uh, that that music they play on the radio? Oh, the Muzak. The Muzak. I mean, you know, when you know the lyric to every note that Muzak is playing, you could go out of your mind. <laughs> 
Hey, podcast listeners, are you looking for a place to rehearse in New York City that is clean, spacious, and most importantly, affordable? Come check out Shetler Studios and Theaters, our wonderful host for these podcasts. Shetler is centrally located on West 54th Street between Broadway and 8th Avenue, right in the heart of the theater district. Right in the heart, you'll find music, dance, and acting studios, complemented by two black box theaters and six presentation venues. The professional facilities, inspired environment, and expert industry staff combined to provide the New York artist with an unparalleled studio experience. Visit their website at shetlerstudios.com That's S-H-E-T-L-E-R studios.com Shetler Studios and Theaters is our home for recording the legends of Broadway and we hope that you make it your artistic home too. That's Shetler, S-H-E-T-L-E-R studios.com. See you here. What was it like being directed by Tyrone Guthrie? Oh, I adored him, worshipped him. Uh, he just was the funniest, dearest man. He he uh, he would sit in the front row, and uh, someone was beside him, you know, taking notes and so on. And he would whisper just loud enough so that the actor could hear. Huh? Watch her. I love the way she does this. Watch this. It was, it was the sweetest, kindest thing. You know, he just was loving you and uh, and making you better because of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you did so many different plays and so many different musicals. Do you prefer one medium over the other? Do you prefer plays over musicals or musicals over plays? I, I, the very thought of doing either makes me want to take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, 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 I suppose I must have enjoyed something, but I don't remember. <laughs> Who were some of the greatest performances you saw when you were living in New York City? Were there was there any performer that you said, "Oh my gosh, if I could only work with them, or if I could only be like them"? Uh, uh, I saw London Fontaine. Oh my gosh! And I saw Lawrence Olivier do oh. his, you know, his sleazy. Uh, what was the name of that play? The Entertainer. No. Yeah. Oh, guy, yeah. <laughs> oh, he was good. And we sat way down in front. Uh, so those, I remember those performances. I re- uh, I saw I saw the. Fr- my Fair Lady, the week it opened. Oh, oh! Because my. we were, I think, uh, I think we were in New Faces or something. When we went over and saw the second act or something, I don't know. First, <laughs> then I saw the um, the uh, actors' fun benefit performance. Oh yes, you, you know about you know about those. Oh yes, they still do them. Oh, they do. Good. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was some audience, I'll tell you. Oh, I bet. They just went crazy whenever you did anything. (laughs) It was fabulous. What was it like working with Fritz Weaver? It was the best. He was my favorite actor. I just loved him to pieces. And funny, oh my God, he could be. And I loved to break him up. I just (laughs) loved to break him up. It was so... He was, <laughs> he was so 
I wanted to ask you, you what was it like working on Camelot? Oh, well, I, I had a grand uh, actor to work with. I had Jay, uh, Col- Colum, John Colum. John oh, Colum, wow. the great John Colum, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he was just a, he was wonderful in that part. Mm-hmm. So he, it was, rehearsals were great. I loved it. And, and they, you know, they let me go when, uh, when they cast, <clears throat> I can't remember his name, a, a Brit who came in to replace Richard Burton and was very short. And they let you go? Oh, yeah, because he, I couldn't possibly have played it with him. We would have looked ridiculous. My goodness. I mean, <laughs> there's a reason for that. They, uh, I'd had a, a lot of lovely employment and never, I called in, you know, I didn't have to be there at all. Right, you were standby, right. Yeah. Did you ever get to, to play opposite Richard Burden? No. <laughs> <laughs> I was standing watching the show one night in the wings, and he left poor Merlin on stage talking to nothing and walked off stage <laughs> and put his, put his arm over my head, you know, the way to lean you against the wall. And he said, I hope you realize I'm showing off just for you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and, and then and I sort of giggled and he said, I shall continue despite your indifference. <laughs> <laughs> Oh gosh, he was a character, oh, and he he always had a huge crowd in his dressing room after the show. I bet. And he called he called it Dick's Bar and Grill. <laughs> and, uh, what my, uh, my son Mark, who is now sixty four years old, oh, wow. was a little boy and was knew every word. He had that kind of memory too. Mm-hmm. He memorized every recording of every show. Oh wow all the songs, <laughs> and he wanted to go to Dick's Bar and Grill so badly, and I wouldn't let him. <laughs> Everybody was absolutely pissed in there, you know. <laughs> oh, it was something. Did you have any interactions with Robert Goulet? Yeah, I knew Robert before before anybody else did, because I, I, went to, I used to go to Toronto to work with a lovely man who wrote music and he wrote a musical version of she soups to conquer <laughs> oh which i think we used to have on uh what was the name of that old film that they put tv shows uh, on? a kinescope yeah you think we hauled around a kinescope they gave me we we once did a, a music somebody wrote me a musical version of the life of Mary Queen of Scots. <laughs> All the songs sounded just like "God Rest You, Mary Gentleman," you know? and uh, and the and the the dialogue was something else. How did uh, Lizzie uh, in "Hundred and Ten in the Shade" come into your life? Uh, Lizzie made my life. Mm-hmm. Oh. I wanted to play Lizzie so badly, and you know who else did? Barbara Streisand and oh. Carol Burnett. Oh. And, I mean, you name them. Everybody wanted to play Lizzie. 
And when I went to audition, Barbara Streisand was there. I was just beside myself. I mean, my squeaky little voice compared to hers. Please. Huh. Anyway, I got it. And yeah. She didn't. I'm perfect for Lizzie, aren't I? Oh, I think I mean, so. Perfect. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I felt so bad when that gorgeous African American actress got such great reviews because no, in no way could I ever sing like she does. But she can't sing like I do. Either. Exactly. Very true. <laughs> so I have to keep telling myself that. <laughs> Although God knows I haven't sung a note forever. Forever. I had to sing on Benson one one uh, episode we did of Benson. It was awful. Where Krauss was uh, offered a recording contract. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I mean, we did some stupid, stupid shows. <laughs> when you were doing Benson, did you want to, did you miss doing theater? Like, did you miss being on a stage? No, that was theater. That was your theater, yeah. We had an audience. We and did you, a live audience. Yeah. And, and you had mostly theater actors in that cast with you. Absolutely. And it, that was not phony laughter, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, no. There wasn't a sign that went up and said laugh. I mean, yeah. people laughed because we were funny. Yeah, it's and a, a James Noble, Renee Bourgeois, Jerry Seinfeld. You had a a, a great group oh, of folks. I know. I know. Weren't they wonderful? Yeah. Everybody. Carolyn McWilliams yeah. was there. Yet yeah. Louis Stadlin for a while. That's right. Yeah, he was going to leave. He didn't like playing a schmuck. And I remember Tony Thomas saying to him, "Listen, you cast as a schmuck, you got to play a schmuck." <laughs> <laughs> but he didn't. He left. Yeah, I wanted to ask anyway. you when you know when you, Benson was finished. Did you want to come back to New York and still do theater, or just L.A. is where you like to be? No, I just wanted to retire. Really? I mean, I didn't want to, well, I did. I kind of wanted another series. I was thinking that would be nice. I didn't realize that I was going to have this wonderful pension. Yeah. And uh, and, and so I did a lot of um, uh, interviews of people. And, you know, a lot of times there were the, the well, what have you done? Oh. Mm -hmm. And it's like Olivier said, you should say, about what? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and Robert was so great. I mean, he could act his way out of anything, you know, because he didn't do anything, and everybody else did everything, and he, mm -hmm. he stood there and watched, like Jack Benny. I mean, he was amazing. Robert Guillaume is a, was a very special actor. Very special. Did you enjoy being on a sitcom? Because you were on there for s seven seasons. Yeah. How? <laughs> eight, eight counting soap. I was on a season of soap. You were, too. yeah. How did you get involved with with Thomas and Harris? I auditioned. I mean, That's... I went in there and read with an accent, and they fell off their chairs. <laughs> I mean, I think Krause's first line was so perfect. See, they weren't looking for somebody to do an accent at all. I mean, nobody else read with an accent. I mean, they loved it, you know? So I got the part, like, and, right away. And it was a pretty long partnership, because you did Soap, then Benson, yeah. 
Um, and then you showed up on, on The Golden Girls, which was also a Whit Thomas Harris production. Oh, that's right. They wanted a sister for Rose. And I was supposed to be Rose's sister. They thought we could believably be Scandinavian sisters. Oh, oh yes. The, they were supposed to be from St. Bernard or something Saint like Olaf. that. St. Olaf. I don't know. Yeah. St. Bernard. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> when they had, when anybody had Susan Harris, they were lucky. P- I mean, my God, she could write. Uh, yeah, a pretty yeah. brilliant writer. Now, how did you, how did you feel when you found out that you were cast as Lizzie, and you would beat out people like Barbara Streisand and Carol Burnett? Was it, was it a pretty heady experience? I vividly remember knowing I had the part in The First Gentleman. I read with Guthrie. Oh, okay. And, and I mean, he came, <laughs> they said, Miss Swenson, would you read a, a scene with Dr. Guthrie? And I said, <laughs> you know, he, he jumped up on stage with his giant long legs mm-hmm. and came over to me and said, you mustn't tremble so, you know, it isn't really all that important. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so sweet. He was just an angel. What was it like working with Agnes DeMille? Oh, we were big fans of each other. Oh, she thought I was the best dancer. She told me I was the best dancer in the show. Oh my God! We had any dancers? <laughs> <laughs> no, we did. We had a whole uh, cast of wonderful dancers who had worked for Agnes in the past, and there was nothing for them to do. I mean, there was no dancing. Yeah, there was no much. occasion for dancing. What were the tryouts like of One Ten in the Shade when you were out of town with the show? Oh, fabulous! I remember. <laughs> Leslie Ann calling me up in the middle of the night in my the hotel and saying, "Can I come and sleep with you? I'm afraid." <laughs> so she came and slept in my bed. That's Leslie Ann Warren. Yeah, she was 16. Oh my goodness! She had her 17th birthday in the when we were in the show. Oh, and then Richard Rogers and Hammerstein got a hold of her. Oh, yes. And that's what started her. Right, right. And did you... I I, I did her actor's studio audition with her, I think. Oh, really? I did a a scene with her anyway, I remember. And were you studying at the actor's studio even while you were performing on Broadway? Oh, that's what it was for. Ah. That was... So actors could come and work on something. You know, you, you... you worked on something. You asked for help. Yeah. Is this what it, should should I do? This is this good for me? I mean, can what shall I do now? Right. You know. Yeah. It was wonderful. And while you were performing 110 in the Shade, did you have an idea that this was going to be a big hit? Did you did you know that it was going to be as popular as it was? Well, uh, in a way, yes, because yeah. I had some. Some uh, your mother wrote them reviews. I mean, in in Boston, <laughs> what's his name? Uh, Elliot something. Uh huh. Remember, he was famous, tough critic. Yeah. I mean, after the first gentleman, 
he thought I was going to save the theater oh. single-handed. He was just amazing. He wrote such beautiful things about me. So I was pretty sure that Lizzie was a, you know, I knew mm -hmm. I was damn good as Lizzie. It's a wonderful show. Who wouldn't love it? That you get tremendous laughs. Everybody cries. I mean, yeah. it's a great play. And the score is I fantastic. Mean, score is wonderful. I adored Tom and Harvey. I had, uh, Richard Nash and I became very close. Mm. He said I was the best ever Lizzie, isn't that? An, I oh. mean, when you think of all the others. Yeah, and the play and everything. And you were nominated for a Tony Award. Yeah, I'm always not. I'm always the bridesmaid. <laughs> you have quite a legacy, and, and you are very, very, very revered. Um, and I think. Oh, they... I hope so. My friend Barbara Berry and I still talk occasionally. Okay. We, we've we've been close friends ever, of course, ever since Stratford, when we were Helena and Hermia, oh. you know, <laughs> and for two seasons. Oh, we were so good. Our our fight scene was choreographed by Jack Landau. I'm telling you, it was the, Chubby Sherman said it was the best ever in him. And he's played, he played every part in uh, Midsummer Night's Oh, how cool. <laughs> you were living in New York just as the beginning of live television was starting to come out. You did a lot of live TV shows, correct? I did a number, yes. What was that yes, like? Was one, that of, a... one of them was, was with Slazak. Oh, my gosh. The Great Walter Sleazak. I think I had an introducing uh, billing. And, you know, I they gave me that plaque that they uh, put in front of the camera that has introducing Inga Swenson. And that's in the scrapbook, I think. Oh, that is so cool. Do, and yeah. you, do, you enjoyed doing live television, right? Not especially. No? Okay. I, mean, the, the, uh, I, I can remember once doing them. Uh, Playhouse 90 where the director crawled along the floor while we were on camera what? and said take out the next five lines you know oh, I mean, while you were rolling <laughs> yes oh, live television which is unbelievable oh, I mean goodness. there were stories that uh, I think Eva Marie Sink was the one who said this is where I get off oh. when she was doing a scene in an airplane <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh my goodness! That's great. I love the and then there's another uh, perhaps uh, uh, made up story about somebody who needed a gun for a scene and they didn't have one, so he rushed over and got the one from the guy at the door. <laughs> <laughs> a real gun they used in the scene. Oh, it's insane. <laughs> Are you okay with us ending asking you just a little bit about Baker Street? Oh, of course. I love uh, that. Was uh, working with Fritz was uh, the highlight of my life. We did my fair, my fair lady together, you know, after that. Yes. We did, we did Pear Gint. Uh, we did, uh, I did Ophelia to his Hamlet. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I did oh, so many. I can't even remember. Then we did. We read a play together for uh, with Uda Hagen because oh. he was very close to Uda and her husband and that whole school down there. 
So, so I don't know. I just I did something like five shows. Yeah, Baker Street was directed by Hal Prince, right? Yeah, sort of. Okay. <laughs> we kind of we kind of oh, it had so many versions. I can't even remember what the final one was. <laughs> right. I I I got a, a write up in somebody's book, that, a hardcover book that came out about musicals, and it said. Uh, it described all the things that Ingus Swenson did, and I felt like writing to him and said, "What, what, what version of this play did Because <laughs> he was like ten years old at the time. Yes. Before we go, one last question, which is, you know, do you have any advice for aspiring actors who are trying to make this their their career? Go, yes, go to school. Mm. Go to school, uh, get a degree in theater. It's the only way you're ever going to get to play those roles. Mm. You're going to play them in school and in class, and that's what's important about acting, is doing it. Yes. You have to have done it a lot if you think you're going to make it in a long-run play. You have to know what the fuck you're doing. Brilliant. You know, you really do. It's it's the what goes on in the dressing room. It's what goes on in the wardrobe room. It's you have to know what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, that's really good advice. And before we yeah, yeah, we just want to let you know before we go. You know, so many we told some of our our listeners that you know we were going to be talking to you today, and they wanted to let you know you are such an influence on so many people who are doing musical theater now. Young people and students of musical theater are watching you and learning from you, and uh, you're very oh, revered. that's nice. You still are. I, did, I don't have a musical theater voice, and it was always a problem, you huh. know? I mean, they, they uh, you know, I almost left the show because uh, uh, I was going to leave the show uh quit and go back home. I didn't care if they threw me out of the union. I didn't want to act anymore anyway. (laughs) So I was going to leave the show in Boston because David Merrick was insisting that I wear a throat mic. And I wouldn't do it. And they they fixed my costume with a little pocket in the chest of it where the throat mic was going to go. And I said, no, on this body it's not. (laughs) So I went back to the hotel and started to pack. Good for you. And they they came to my room and said, never mind, you don't have to wear a throat. Was he as like a pain in the butt as everybody says he was? I guess he was. I mean, he was because he was a pain to me about that. Yeah, yeah. This was so much fun, and you know, if we're ever in Los Angeles, you know, we would love to take you out to dinner as and you and Lowell as our guest. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> but thank you so much for this. This was just fabulous. Oh, I'm glad you liked it. I had a great time. Oh, thank good. you. Good, and give Lowell a big thank you as well. I will. All okay. right. Take care. Bye bye. Today's episode was recorded at Shetler Studios on 244 West 54th Street. Visit Shetler Studios to book your room today, and you could be as cool as us. That's S-H-E-T-L-E-R studios.com. And a big thanks to our sound editor, Daniel Schwartzberg, and social media manager, Bethany Ann Selecki. And friends, don't forget, we want more folks to hear these incredible stories, and that's where you guys can come in and help us out. Yes, in order for people to find out about us, we need lots of ratings on iTunes. The more 
ratings, the more they'll come up in searches. So head on over to iTunes, search for Behind the Curtain Broadway's Living Legends, click on our logo, click on ratings and reviews, then write a review and leave us five stars and make us feel as special as Eliza Doolittle on Eliza Doolittle Day. Or you can leave us one star and make us feel as bad as Annie did in that weird production in Boston where Annie dreamed about being adopted and then ended the show back in the orphanage. True story, Rob was there. I saw it. So head on over to iTunes and make us feel even more special than we already do. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. <laughs>